Church. We are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifechillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. We are the last week of the Acts series. Um, I hope that you've been able to go through it with us and do some reading with us and grow and learn as much through it as uh, many of us have. I got a question for you. Have you ever been to Death Valley? Anybody been to Death Valley before? I have not actually been to Death Valley. I've read about Death Valley, and I recently was reading about how Death Valley, the reason why it's called that is it's so hot and so dry that things can't grow there. It's just a barren desert. But in 2016, a very rare rainstorm hit Death Valley, and something amazing happened. They called it the super bloom. And the super bloom turned Death Valley into a garden. Today, you can still see the effects of this rainstorm. People from all over the world come to see this amazing transformation from desert to garden. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah says something about a similar event. He says, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, like the garden of Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. And we love transformation stories, don't we? We love come from behind winds. We, we love marriage that's turned around or somebody who turned their life around or somebody who got saved and, and things got better. The news is constantly telling us how everything's getting worse and how everything's terrible. Even though when you look at any significant period of time, you see actually things got quite a bit better. So why is it while we were in it, it seemed like everything was terrible? It's because that's what people talk about. People like to focus on the bad things that happen and the negative things that happen. So we love it when we see a negative that is so obviously turned around to become a positive. But how is this possible? How does this actually happen? Well, in the case of Death Valley, how did this actually happen? It happened because there were seeds in the ground. They had always been there, right? They were there from a previous super bloom because this has happened in the past. When a rare rainstorm hits and because there's no weeds to choke out the flowers and all the, all the environment is correct to allow for this incredibly beautiful thing to happen. The seeds had been there for many years, but they never showed their potential because the, the conditions were not right. They were waiting for the right nutrients, the right environment so that they could step into their full potential. Well, I believe that God has placed seeds in your life. There, there are seeds in your life that are ready to grow, that are ready to mature. They're just looking for the right environment. You can go to the next slide. There we go. And some of those seeds are about to sprout. Some of us in this room, our, our, our lights are up there on the wall. By the way, has anybody noticed that we had to add some strings to the... You can... Yeah. There's some, if you squint, you see those lines there? Those are added strings because a lot of people have given their lives to the Lord this year and, and a lot of people have started this new journey with Christ and, and becoming who they were created to be. And we believe that those are the right environments 
the right nutrients that you can give to your life so that God can make you into who he created you to be. You've surrounded yourself with the right people. You've surrounded yourself in the right situation to become the person that God created you to be. So what is the death valley in your life? Maybe you're in debt and you can't think about doing what you think you're supposed to be doing because all you can do is week in, week out, month after month, paycheck by paycheck, try to figure out how am I paying the bills. You're just trying to keep up. And that keeps you from doing anything extra, from doing anything else, from really stepping in and investing in your future. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and it's just all consuming. The negativity and the frustration is just all that you can think about. Maybe you have an addiction. It's a, a substance or porn or a relationship or something that, that you don't want to be a part of anymore. You want to put it behind you, but it just keeps. You just can't quit. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you're overwhelmed. But I believe with all my heart that in every single life that seems to be choked out by the wrong circumstances, there are good seeds there that if we can put them in the right light, if we can give them the right nutrients, those seeds will grow and sprout and become what God put them there to become. Water the seeds. Because I can sit around and complain that the situation isn't right. God, I, I put down a bunch of seeds. Where's the rain? I wanted some grass in my lawn, so I, I spread a bunch of grass seed, and God, make it rain. Or I can go grab a water hose and water the lawn. I can get to work. I can do the things that God has already commanded me to do. I can complain that the sidewalk isn't shoveled, that the dishes aren't done, or I can get up and I can shovel the sidewalk and do the dishes. I grew up going to Olathe Christian School was the name of the school. See, the Kansas City public schools uh, were not teaching the way my parents felt like they should teach. They were teaching some things that my parents disagreed with, and, and they were doing some things and how they were doing testing with my siblings. This is all before I was born. And so my dad had some conversations with teachers and principals, and changes weren't being made. So my dad, instead of just sitting around and complaining, my parents decided, you know what, let's homeschool. We can do it. And so they pull their kids out and they start to homeschool their kids. This is my three older siblings. And so they are homeschooling while pastoring. And the people that they're pastoring recognize some of the same issues in the Kansas City public schools. And they go to my parents and they say, hey, will you homeschool our kids too? And so my parents decide that they're going to start homeschooling other kids in addition to their own kids. And, and this just keeps growing until eventually this homeschool becomes a Christian school. I don't know if you've ever been around Christian schools before, but it's not an easy task. I mean, we're talking about literal blood, sweat, and tears to convince people, hey, I know that your tax dollars are already paying for an education uh, for your kids, but... I want you to just allow those tax dollars to pay for other kids' education. And then I want you to put more money on top of that and pay for your kids' education at a Christian school. That's a hard sell. We'll try doing that. 
enough times that now you can afford to support a school. It's a difficult task. My parents, it caused a tremendous amount of pain in our lives, the sacrifice that it required to do this, but they saw a problem. And they decide rather than complain about the problem, we're going to do something about the problem. And me and many others have come through this school that was created as a result of this, and I believe it produced tremendous fruit. Those seeds were grown. They were, they were given the right nutrients to allow them to become what God created them to be. Instead of being a victim... Don't be a victim. This is not what God put us in the world to do, to sit around and complain about how everything is so terrible and about how politics or people or bosses or creditors or whoever it is are out to get me and I'm a victim. Don't be a victim. Be the solution. Find the potential and pursue it. You remember the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas? I can't stop thinking about it. I've talked about it a couple times, I know, but it just keeps popping up in my mind. We're learning more and more about what happened that day. And the day of, there were all these rumors about what happened and, and we are finding out that a lot of those were wrong. But the basic idea is that a sick 18-year-old boy charges into a school and kills 19 fourth graders and two teachers. But the really hard thing for this whole situation has been in the aftermath of it, looking back and seeing what was done to keep this from happening. All the while this kid is in this classroom shooting these kids, there are police officers standing outside of the room making a plan. They are the good guys with the guns while the innocent, helpless children are dying in a classroom and they are doing nothing. Now, don't the problem here in this conversation is I do not want to sound at all like I am against law enforcement. I am majorly pro law enforcement. I can't imagine doing what these guys do day in, day out. But that doesn't mean that all law enforcement do everything right every time. And these guys decided that they were going to wait outside of the classroom while children in the classroom were suffering and literally dying. All the while, their parents are outside of the school begging to go in and do, to do something. They recognize that, that the police officers aren't st storming this room. And so they're volunteering. I'll go in. I'll do something. And they're being held back and not allowed to step in. And do something. This, this event is incredibly hard for me to wrap my mind around. And it's what happens when people just sit by and expect that somebody else is going to do something. Or they hear, no, you, you're not supposed to do that kind of thing. No, that, that's not your job. You stay back. And so they, they follow orders maybe when they shouldn't. Until eventually somebody says, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going in anyways. That's the story of an off-duty Border Patrol agent. His name was Jacob. And Jacob, at the time of the shooting, was getting his hair cut down the street from the school. And he heard what had happened. And he grabbed the barber's shotgun. And he ran to the school. And he got to, he got to work. He rescued his wife 
from the school. He rescued his kid from the school. And then he rescued other kids from the school. Rather than sitting on the sideline, he jumped in and got something done. He did something about the situation. And this may seem like a one in a million occurrence, and that it is, that we don't really need to pay that much attention to. But can I say something to the parents in the room? I believe that the days of hoping for others to save our families is over. I'm not saying go buy a bunch of guns and plan to storm a school. I'm not saying that you need to start a Christian school. I'm just saying that we can't expect coaches and youth pastors and teachers to raise our kids for us. They're great. I appreciate the sacrifice that teachers and coaches and and youth pastors make. I appreciate what they're doing. But they would not expect you to allow them to make all the decisions for your kids. They would not expect you to allow them to raise their... They want to partner with you. And it is our responsibility to take the seeds that God placed in our life and water them, to give ourselves to them, to take responsibility for them. Pastor your kids. What does that look like? Well, picture a shepherd. Protect. Teach. Feed. That's what pastoring means. Be the priest of your household. Because the world and social media and all of that is trying to take the hearts of your kids. And for many kids, it is working. It's terrifying to see how they have given themselves to completely meaningless, self-promoting ideas, worldviews. We have got to win. And I believe, as we read in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit will empower us when we step up, when we take responsibility for the souls that God has placed in our lives, I believe that the Holy Spirit will empower us to do what we can't do without him. Teach your kids scripture. And you may say, well, I don't know scripture. How can I teach my kids scripture? The way that you teach your kids scripture actually will teach, as you teach your kids Bible stories, you will learn them better than you ever would just by reading them. In your morning Bible study, read a story, tell the story. Read a story, tell the story. And you will learn the stories and it will change you as it changes them. Teach your kids what God has taught, taught them about themselves. Not what, they, not what the world says they are or, or not what they want to be or become whoever you want to be nonsense. No, here's who God created you to be. Our families are God-given seeds. And today is the day to say no more. Find something good in your life and give your attention to it. Pour yourself into it. As the consumerism and the ideas of the world try to grab all of your attention, as, the, as all the things that are calling for your energy, you say no, and you pour yourself into the things, the seeds that God has placed into your life. Run after them. In leadership circles, they call this strengths-based leadership. Strengths-based leadership is the idea that I'm going to focus on what I'm good at. I'm going to focus on my gifting. I'm going to focus on my calling. 
And if I focus on those things, I, I, in, rather than focusing all my attention on trying to get rid of all the negative, I'm going to focus on the positive. We, we see that a rising tide lifts all ships. That as we pour into our strengths, then they develop in our lives the ability to do what we could not just by smoothing out our weaknesses. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean we don't improve on our weaknesses. I'm just saying we prioritize the development of our strengths and it allows us to do what others cannot and we rely on each other when it comes to our weaknesses. Goodness attracts goodness. Your life might seem like a big desert, but if you can bring rain to the desert, there are seeds there. So how do you do it? I hate to say the obvious, but the secret to getting things done is action. Hope does not solve problems. Dreams alone cannot make a difference. Take action, look for opportunities and pursue those opportunities. We don't sit around and talk about what could be. We strategize and we find ways to make what could be happen. We act on it. Action closes the gap between what you have and what you want. Because in the long game, complaining does nothing. And this is the same advice that Jesus gives us about how to spread the gospel, about how to tell people about his love, about how to focus on the good news, the gospel. This is why Jesus is constantly saying, what good news are you teaching? Is it good news or is it bad news? Focus on the good news. This is your strength. So go tell people about it. James, Jesus's brother said, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Because we could all sit around and complain about how terrible the world is, or we could do something about it. And the good news is we have the good news. We have the solution. We have the key to the problem. We could say we want the world to be better. We could even say we believe the world will be better. But unless we do what God has called us to do, it won't be better. What's making goodness in our world expand is the goodness of God. It is the good news of, the, of God's message for us. It is his love that's making our world better. The apostle Paul said, and now I am bound by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You hear that? Paul says, God said I'm going to be tortured, but I'm going anyway. Because that's my calling. That's who I am. I am a child of God. I am a servant of God. My life is meaningless unless I tell people the good news. Unless I help people out by leaning into my strengths, which is the gospel. And from the outside, it looks like Paul is in a desert. But Paul sees seeds. It's kind of fun to watch this period of Paul's life because they keep chaining guards to Paul. 
because he's in prison. And, and so they'll chain him to a guard to make sure he doesn't escape. And Paul shares the gospel with the guard. And then time and time again, the guards start giving their life to God. So like, get that guard out of there. He's now been brainwashed by Paul. Chain another one to him. And he's like, you think I'm in chains. You guys are the one in chains. You guys think I'm the one in prison. You're, you're putting yourself in prison so that, and God is using what you see as evil. What you see as a desert. Paul sees seeds and he waters the seeds and, he, and good things come as a result of his faithfulness to his calling. He says, and now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. This is going to lead to my death. He knows. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all I wants you to know. Paul says eternal death. Have you ever wondered if anyone would suffer eternal death because you failed to take action? I mean, it's one thing to fail to take action when kids are being killed in a classroom, but that's not even as bad as failing to take action when we talk about eternal death. We're talking about eternity. This is what Paul's saying. There is no bigger deal. There's nothing more important. This is our priority. This is our calling. It's not just some side thing. Yeah, I got to do some evangelism sometime because I'm a Christian, so I have to. This is it. This is our calling. That is the message of the book of Acts. If you are a child of God, if you are a member of his church, then you are on a mission. He called you for a mission. He called me for a mission. We are all called to give our lives to it. It's not just something that we do on the side. It's not just something we do on Sundays. This is who we are. Become who you were created to be. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people. This is the message to parents. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. You, we are the leaders of this movement. This is who we are now. This is what we were created to be. We're not bystanders. We are leaders because we live in a desert world. But God put us here. Seeds that are going to bloom and turn this world into the Garden of Eden. That's the whole point of all this. God made a way for us to get back to the garden. That's heaven. Presence with him, walking with him daily in the garden. That is our calling. That is why we are here in this world. We are a seed. Bringing a garden to a desert world. And it's going to require some of us. It's going to require us to give up a lot of what we want. It's going to require us to accept pain for purpose. It's going to require risk and doing hard things. But we are all called to serve. And we don't have much time to do it. Our time in this world is very short. Does anybody here have grandparents who are still living? Anybody have grandparents who are living? How old are your grandparents? 83 and 87? How often do you see them? 
Not very often. Three times a year? Two times a year? Four times a year? 87 is uh, well past the life expectancy in America today. And so they've already lived past that. But let's say they live five more years. You see them four times a year. You're going to see your grandparents 20 more times. How many people in here have a teenager? Who's got a teenager, a child that's a teenager? What's your oldest teenager? How old's your oldest teenager? 16 years old. If your teenager leaves home at 18, hopefully, I don't know. <laughs> you got two more years. Two more years. I, I realized the other day, my six-year-old is a third of the way through till he leaves. We're a third of the way there. We don't have time. We, our life is short. What, what's important? What seeds need to be watered? Put everything else aside. None of it matters. What seed needs to be watered? We don't have time. Revelation says, woe to the earth and the sea. Why? Because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. The Satan is panicking. He doesn't have much time. He's doing everything he can to keep seeds from sprouting in our world but he will lose. I read the back of the book and I believe it. He's going to lose. He keeps trying to distract us. He's distracting us with substances and drugs and alcohol and entertainment and selfishness and whatever else he's distracting us with. But he's going to lose. Why? Because we've been watered. Because we are the seeds that are growing and turning this desert world into a garden. Because we are Noah's. Remember Noah? Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. It's a picture of the garden. Next slide. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, it's a desert world. So God said to Noah, I have decided to, de to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. And then he says, build a large boat. In the desert, Noah. Noah was given a seed in the desert and God says, water it. And even as everyone he knows is criticizing him, he starts building a boat in the desert because he knows something that they don't know. He believes something that they don't believe. Christians, it is our turn to take action. It is our turn to water some seeds. We are in the same line as Noah. We have been given the same calling as Noah. And it is giving ourselves to the God who placed us here for such a time as this. Step, in, step up to take action and become the people that God created us to be. God, I pray for courage. I pray for the ability to 
remove distractions from our lives, to water the right seeds, to be brave enough to to risk ourselves, to risk pain, as we've seen Paul do and so many others in the book of Acts. God, help us to become the people you created us to be. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.